Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. So today we have a first in a few related episodes that are a little bit different. They're not about composers, or makers of music, if you will, but rather about some makers of instruments. On our first installment here today, we're going to be looking into probably the most famous instrument maker in the world, Antonio Stradivari, maker, of course, of the famous Stradivarius violins. Antonio Stradivari was born probably in 1644 in Cremona, Italy. As evidenced by the lack of confidence in his exact birth date, there is very little information about Stradivari's childhood. For that matter, we don't know much about his schooling either. Of course, during the 1600s, school wasn't the chosen path for all young people, but rather apprenticeships and on-the-job training was more common. There is a bit of a debate as to the true nature of Stradivari's apprenticeship. So there's some anecdotal evidence of a Strad violin label in 1666 reading, quote, student of Nikolai Amati, end quote. And Amati was the foremost violin maker, or luthier if we're going to use the fancy term, and before Stradivari really came on the scene. Amati had many apprentices, so it would have made sense for Stradivari to go and study with him. However, in the Strad violins dating from this time period, the labels do not consistently mention Amati. If Stradivari were truly an apprentice, then it would make sense that he should have been giving his teacher respectful credit until he was granted his own title of master. Because of this, some scholars actually believe Stradivari never formally trained as a luthier. Rather, they propose he started his career as a woodworker and through doing some decorating commissions for Amati, he picked up enough of the trade to be almost self-taught. And this is supported with additional evidence that most of Stradivari's instruments feature elaborate decorations that a normal luthier would not necessarily have bothered to add. The model Stradivari used when first starting out was traditional and based on the model of Amati. However, he soon began to experiment. Once he gained somewhat of a reputation in 1680, he bought a house with a private attic workshop. Here he would perform his experiments, which led to a much larger, long model violin compared to that of Amati. And for the rest of his career, Stradivari would make little tweaks to the violin proportions in an attempt to get the very best sound quality. The model created at this time by Stradivari is basically what is still used by violin makers around the world today. During his life, Stradivari also made cellos, violas, harps, and guitars. However, he didn't make quite as notable contributions to these instruments' designs as to the violins. This 
Stradivari really hit his golden era from 1700 to 1725. It was during this time that he had really perfected his craft and was also able enough to work in his workshop on the instruments. In later years, though he still made instruments into his 80s, the quality is said to not be quite as good. He did, of course, have other luthiers working for him in his workshop, and later his two sons, Francesco and Omobono, took over the family business. They apparently did not have the refined skill of your father, who died and left them the business in 1737. Nevertheless, the name Stradivari did not suffer, and even now a Stradivarius violin can be sold for close to a million dollars at auction. And speaking of these instruments themselves, it is thought that Stradivari made around 1,100 instruments during his lifetime. It is estimated that only 650 of them exist in the world today, and only about 500 of those instruments are violins. So many musicians, if they have an instrument, perhaps have a pet name for it. Now Asa, what is the name of your clarinet? I really have to tell the whole world? Well, you don't have to, but it's preferred. Her name is Uhura. After? Uhura from Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. So, Allison, what is your clarinet named? Well, uh, my B-flat clarinet is just called clarinet, and my A is called A. (laughs) But that's spelled A-E-Y. And then I have an E-flat clarinet whose name is Little Monster. Now, some perhaps more profound examples of Strad instrument names are things like the Messiah, Antonio's personal instrument that he never sold, the bass of Spain, a cello, and the Baron Noop, after a famous instrument collector. You'll find that Stradivari didn't name the instruments himself, except his personal Messiah, but rather, many of them got their names later in their lives after people who owned them. So these instruments, they've survived a lot of years, and they're a big deal. Um, There's been much research over the years to determine why these violins supposedly sound better and play better than their contemporary or modern counterparts. There definitely is the extensive design elements that we've already mentioned that make these violins notable among others made during the same time period. But we have basically that same design nowadays, so why aren't new violins as well regarded? Well, at one time, scholars thought it was the varnish that was used on the strads. However, as these are very, very old instruments, many have actually lost their original varnish. Scientists have also discovered there is nothing particularly notable about the ingredients of the varnish. Others argue that it's the actual composition of the wood that makes the difference. During Stradivari's lifetime, Europe was experiencing colder-than-average temperatures which makes trees grow differently. This results in a denser wood, and a denser wood will cause the sound vibrations from the bow to reverberate differently, and perhaps more fully and warmly. One interesting study observed the exact dimensions of several violins. It was discovered that they actually have many imperfections and irregularities, making the instruments asymmetrical. It is theorized that this was purposeful on Stradivari's part, as the imperfections will eliminate harsh tones that could be brought about by a perfectly symmetrical instrument.
But are these violins actually better? In some blind studies, performers often don't rate a Stradivarius as their most preferred choice. And this is actually understandable, as Stradivari was purposely designing his instruments to sound good for the time period and the specific type of music being played. As our musical eras have progressed, we have developed to wanting to hear a more piercing and strong sound, while many Baroque instruments have a soft and warm sound. Now that's not to say that these instruments are subpar. Many of the top names in the classical world play on strads, such as Itzhak Perlman, Joshua Bell, and Anne Akiko Myers. Yo-Yo Ma also plays a supposedly unexceptional Strad cello. <laughs> I think he makes it pretty exceptional, though. I do, too. And as an article from Classic FM points out, strads are played by the most elite professionals, so of course they're going to sound good. It all comes down to what kind of sound you want to hear. As we mentioned, there's probably only about 500 Strad violins left in the world, but we obviously don't know where all the possible Strads are currently living. Now, how would you know if you found one? Easy answer! You'll look at the label. So if it says it's made by Stradivari and it dates from the right period, it must be a real Strad, right? Wrong! Back in Stradivari's time, it was actually very common that a non-Strad instrument would have a label claiming it was a Strad. However, this statement has to be interpreted correctly. During the time period, this simply meant that these instruments were made using the same model as a Stradivarius. So, just as with real life, labels aren't everything. You can only know if you have a real Strad by consulting with a Strad expert, who will appraise the instrument based on everything from the fingerboard to the pins used to hold the wood of the violin together. So as you can see, Stradivarius, who lived so many hundreds of years ago, still has a very lasting impact on the classical and really general population today. Everybody knows the name Stradivarius. And everyone has heard Itzhak Perlman and Joshua Bell play on some soundtrack or another with their beautiful Strad violins. So we hope this look into a slightly different aspect of music history was enjoyable and enlightening for you. If you have a friend or a family member who is just as fanatical for the violin, be sure to share this episode with them. Or if you have friends or family members who know nothing about the violin, you can also share this episode with them. And in any case, we would always appreciate you sharing this episode with any of your friends and family, leaving us a review on iTunes and Google Play. You can also contact us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Beethoven's Violin Sonata No. 9 was performed by Kari Soropsek and Pavali Jampanen. Kari's Violin Sonata in D Minor No. 12 La Folia was performed by the Sonatori Fiorianzini Baroque Ensemble. You can find the coffeehouse on iTunes or Google Play where you can rate, review, and subscribe. Be sure to share with your friends. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 